I don't know if you had one of these growing up. I had this crazy uncle, cool uncle. He was the one that whenever he came to town, we loved to go hang out with him. I mean, he was just, he would tell stories. This is why we liked him. He would tell stories. And there were some of these stories that I would just put in memory. You know, I just had it down. He used to come in when he would come to town, we'd go hang out. I remember us, we'd ask him to say it over and over and over. And we memorized it as kids. He would say, ladies and gentlemen, horses and mules, I stand before you to set behind you to tell you something I know nothing about. Next Wednesday, which is Good Friday, there'll be a women's meeting for men only. The admission is free. You pay at the door. Pull up a seat and sit on the floor. And it would go on, most of which I couldn't repeat in church. Um, and, and so, you know, he would get in a little bit of trouble with some of that. But it was fun. It was always one of those. He was a great storyteller, and we love that about him. What about you? Do you have any stories? You, do you have stories to tell about your life? Fishing stories, gentlemen? You know, I've got, I've got my own share of fishing stories. I remember one time I was in a canoe. Seriously, this is a true story. Usually fishing stories, you're like, I'm not sure about that. True story. In a canoe, fishing, using a little shallow diver. It has one little, looks like a little fish, and has three treble hooks hanging off of it. I caught two fish on one cast. It was, a, it was the best day of my life. It was awesome for a fisher, right? Yeah, that's, this was great. I even have a witness. There was a guy in the canoe with me. He saw it happen. So I have somebody to share. What, what about car stories? Everybody probably has a car story when your car broke down at an odd time, when something happened to it, your first car maybe. I remember losing my driver's license before I even had it. I was 14, driving when I shouldn't have been, took my parents' car they didn't even know, and I wrecked it. And I lost my license. It's a long story. You really don't want to hear it. Um, Some of you have heard it before, but what's your story? What stories do you have to tell? Maybe your story is the American dream. The American dream, right? It's the story we all want to tell, to get rich someday, to be successful. However, this American dream story, it's really weird because it's all perspective. If our goal was to be rich or to be successful, then we've made it. No matter who you are in this room, you've made it because you're here. And most of the world is not where you're at. And so if it's comparison to the rest of the world, you've made it. But if you're comparing yourself to a relative or a neighbor or a friend from high school, you're always going to find somebody that's better than you, bigger than you, faster than you, has more than you, more successful than you, and you're going to think you didn't make it, although you probably did. It's just this rags to riches story that you're trying to accomplish, but is it really that in the American story, it's really not that old. I mean, America, we're only a few hundred years old, right? And your story in the American story is not very long. You haven't been around for very long. You don't have much longer to go either. So how big is this story of yours? But what if we looked at us through God's story? Am I like the main character on all of you or sub-characters to me in my story? Or am I a, am I a minor character in this enormous story of God? I think it'll change your perspective on how you view life and what happens around you. So we go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and we see and we read and we understand and we learn that God created. God created until chapter 3. <laughs> it takes us that long before we mess it up. And in chapter 3, we get to this point where we choose not to follow God. We call it the fall. So if you're following along, if you're taking notes in your bulletin there, the fall is where this is at. It's when we said, 
Thank you, God, for creating me, but I think I can do it better. (laughs) I think I know a better way. I think I'm going to do it different than what you are teaching me to do, and I'm going to do it my way. And if you've ever asked yourself, why is there sickness in this world? Why is there cancer? Why are there murders? Why is there molestation? Why do bad things happen? I think we can go back to this point. We can go back and see this happening the, the fall, we chose to walk away from God. And as a result, we have a fallen world. We have a broken world. And we chose not to follow, and therefore our world is broken. But here's the best part. Since Genesis 3 till today, God is teaching us over and over and over that he loves us, that he has forgiven us, that he loves us. There's still consequences from that sin, but he loves us. He will not forget us, and he wants to show us how much he loves us. And he continues to do this. In fact, he went to a guy by the name of Abraham. He said to Abraham, through your descendants, through your senses, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, I am going to redeem you. I'm going to send to you a savior. He tells him this story, and the story gets told over and over throughout the Bible. We see this over and over. God says, I'm going to send you a savior, and that savior is going to redeem this fallen world. The savior is going to bring you redemption and salvation, and I'm going to bless you through this. But at some point in the story, and maybe some point in your story as well, you get to this point where you think you're at rock bottom. You think it can't get any worse. In fact, it's got to get better. There's only one way out of this, and this is up. And what happens? Sometimes it goes down a little further. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't think it could get any worse, and all of a sudden, it does. So let me, I want to build up to this guy named Moses. We're going to get to him because he's a big part of this story, but I got to tell you a little bit before him. There was a guy named Joseph. Some of you might know this story. Joseph, he had this nice, really nice coat, all kinds of colors on it. You know, it was, it was really cool, but his brothers took his coat. They didn't like him. They threw him in a pit. They actually sold him into slavery, and they took his coat. They beat him up, and um, they let him... They let him be a slave in Egypt for years. He was in prison for years as a slave, but he actually helped God through this time because there was a famine in the land, and through this famine, he helped Pharaoh understand what to do. But the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were still in this famine. And during their famine time, they knew they needed food. So what they did was they said, we got to go to Egypt. Where's the food at? The food's in Egypt. So they packed up and they moved to Egypt, which is where they got their help from their brother that they ended up selling into slavery years before that. So just when you think your story can't get any worse, just when you think you've hit rock bottom, just when you think, you know, maybe, maybe we just avoided a famine and we're going to be saved through this. There's only one way up. Sometimes you go down just a little further. So they move into this land. Here is this land. They're hoping to get some food out of this deal. They get a little bit of food. But there's this Pharaoh that's in charge. And Pharaoh at the time, he's a little paranoid. He doesn't like all these new people moving into his land. And he's thinking, what's going to happen? All these Hebrew people are moving in and they're going to they're have a bunch of babies. And all these babies are going to grow up and they're going to form an army. They're going to populate so much, they're going to rebel against us someday. Or they're going to join one of our enemies and they're going to take us over. So this Pharaoh says, I've got to stop this. So he goes to all the midwives. 
Now, the midwives at the time, there were no medical doctors to go around and do C-sections or help ladies have their babies. So these midwives would go in during um, the birth time period, and they would help these women have the baby. So Pharaoh goes to these women, and he says, I need your help. I need you, when you go in to help the Hebrews have their babies, if they have a girl, let her live. But if they have a boy, make sure he dies during childbirth. Don't, don't let him live. Well, the midwives, they don't tell Pharaoh no, but they don't obey him either. They actually say, oh, let's not do that. Let's wait a little bit. Let's see if, if we don't show up in time, maybe, or we just don't make it happen. And so they don't. They don't kill the baby boys, but Pharaoh notices, right? Just when you think it's getting worse, it gets a little bit more worse. Just when you think it's, it's horrible, you can't, you can't get any lower. Pharaoh says, hey, I noticed all these baby boys running around. What's going on? And the midwives, they say, oh, those Hebrew women, they're amazing. They're like Pez dispensers. We can't stop them. They're just like having babies all over the place. And when we get there, it's too late. We can't stop it. And then now there's this little boy running around, and we're not going to kill the little boys. And Pharaoh says, okay, I can. So he starts killing all the baby boys, even the ones that were already born. He starts going around and killing them. And you think the story can't get any worse. And God steps in and he says, I will not forget my people. I will not forget you. I know what's going on. I know what's happening. And along comes a family and they have a little boy They eventually call him Moses. So this is where Moses enters the scene. This family has a baby boy, and they hide him. They start to hide him away. The soldiers will come to the door, knock on the door. you have any boys in there? They say, no, no boys in here. They say, okay, you know, we'll see you tomorrow. And they're like, don't come back tomorrow. We won't have a boy tomorrow either, right? And they try and hide him for as long as they can. They try and hide him for about three months, and then they realize we can't do this. We can't do this for very much longer. We're going to have to to go to extreme measures to save him. So they put him in this little basket, a basket that'll float, and they put him out on the water, and they put him in the Nile River, and they send him down the river, and he floats down the river, and he happens to stop in the weeds right outside of Pharaoh's house. Now, Pharaoh's daughter, she's out, I don't know what she's doing, having a pool party or something with all her friends. They're, they're outside, they're hanging out, and they hear this baby crying, on the river and she goes and she gets this baby out of the basket out of the river and she calls him Moses because that's what Moses means to draw out she drew him out of the river she calls him Moses and she does what every young girl would do if you find a baby floating in a basket in the river she runs to her dad and says can I keep him right wouldn't you want that look at this beautiful baby boy this is amazing I fell in love with him at first sight can I keep him I know he's a boy I know you're trying to kill him all but this one we can train we can do something with this one and he says yes but here's here's the problem she can't nurse him there's no one to to nurse him to feed him the coolest part of the story this is one of my favorite pieces while they sent Moses down the river Moses' big sister followed. She was walking along the shoreline, and she followed him along the way to make sure that he was going to be safe. When she saw that Pharaoh's daughter picked up Moses, she overheard her say, I don't know what to do. How are we going to feed him? She steps up and says, I know somebody that can help. 
And she goes home and gets her mom, the mom of Moses, and says she can help nurse him. And so Moses' mom gets to nurse him. She gets to raise him as a baby. Her own, his own mom gets to do that. Yeah, you don't, God's got to be part of that story. It's an amazing piece to that story. And what it means, nursing at that time period, what it means was um, the first five years. The first five years of his life, he got to spend in his own family's household, growing up with his own family. Um, I, research has shown, psychiatrists have told us that 90% of your personality is established within the first three years of life. She had a huge impact on what kind of a man this kid was going to grow up to be. But I wonder how many times she was just grateful she saved him. I'm just glad he's alive, and yet here she is modeling her faith for him. She gets to instill into him who, she establishes who he really is. How parents, sometimes we wonder, are we making a difference in our kid's life? You know, they can't seem to remember to brush their teeth, but at the same time, they, they remember everything that we've said or, or do, right? How does that work? But we learn it. The best training in life is not at school. The best training is not at church. The best training's in your own home. With those little eyes, with those little ears, watching and learning, they're picking up on what you do. And this happened with Moses. How do we know? Because we turn to Hebrews chapter 11, um, way at the end of the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was older, refused to be known as Pharaoh's, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I, that's not who I am. That he was someone else. However, after he turned five, he went back and was raised in Pharaoh's household with Pharaoh's daughter. That's who raised him. And he got the best education. They were well known for their education. Um, they did a great job with the sciences, um, with, with math, with the arts. And Moses, silver spoon in hand, he was given the best education around. But one day when he was older, we um, estimate that he's probably about 40 years old. He walked out and he saw two people fighting some Hebrew, a Hebrew person and an Egyptian person, and they were beating each other up, and Moses steps in to break up the fight. And the story goes like this. He stepped in to break up the fight. We don't know the details. All we know is the Egyptian ended up dead. Somehow, Moses killed the Egyptian during this argument, trying to break him up. And now he's got a dead body on his hands. He goes, I don't know what to do. I, I don't want to admit it. I don't want to tell anybody. Someone's going to find out. So what am I going to do? Well, he thinks it through very um, little, and he ends up digging a hole and burying him, hoping no one notices. I'm just going to dig a hole in the sand, put this guy in there, and hope nobody notices. I'll bet he didn't sleep much that night. I'll bet he was worried that something else was going to happen, that it wasn't going to play out the way he thought. And you're right. Just when you think you've hit rock bottom and it can't get any worse, the next day he wakes up and he goes out and he finds two Hebrews, his own people, fighting with each other. And he goes up to him and says, come on, guys, stop. We're on the same team. Why are you fighting with each other? Stop doing this. And one of them turns to Moses and says, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian? The guilt that you feel when you know you're sinning and you need to stop. 
You know that feeling that you have when you get caught? There's a little bit of relief, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of, oh, no. I didn't want anybody to find out about my sin. I hope nobody ever finds out about this. We thought Moses reached rock bottom. So what does he do? He runs away. (laughs) And you're thinking, I thought this guy had character, right? Well, he he does. We're going to get back to that in a second. But he runs away. He makes a mistake and he runs. But he doesn't run out of faith. He runs because he's afraid. He runs out of fear. Now, he's not perfect, and God can use imperfect people. In fact, the very next scene that we see is Moses trying to redeem himself. He stumbles upon this well. People are drawing water out of it to feed their animals, to feed their families, but there are some women that are there trying to get water, and there's some men that are there that are not letting them. And Moses steps up again and says, this isn't right. These women need some water. He helps them get water. He sends them on their way. They go home and tell their dad about the guy that helped them. And their dad is not just any dad. Their dad was the priest of a place called Midian. And he comes out and invites Moses into his family. In fact, Moses ends up marrying one of the daughters of this guy. And he gives him a job. He makes him a shepherd out in his property. Now, it doesn't sound like a great job, right? Um, But he spends the next 40 years as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And he's working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. Not really the job you'd want. And I'm sure during that time period, he was praying, come on, God, come on. For 40 years, he prayed. We get frustrated at God when he doesn't answer our prayers after a day or two, am I right? We're like, dude, I texted you. How come you haven't responded yet? It was a minute ago, right? Give me a chance. I haven't even looked at my phone since you... We get impatient with each other, right? We get impatient with God. And it was 40 years that Moses wandered around the desert as a shepherd for his father-in-law. But here's what we learn from this. God does not forget his people. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. So I'm going to take us to some scripture. I've been building up to this. I want to take you here. I want to read some of this to you. If you're following Exodus 3, if you have a Bible with you, your phone, open it up. Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. So this is an amazing sight, right? There's a bush in the desert. It's on fire, but it's not burning. Many of you have heard this story before, and we think, wow, that's amazing. Well, A bush on fire in the desert really isn't an odd sight. It happens often. There's some vegetation. It gets green. It grows. Then the vegetation goes away. The moisture does. It dries up. The bush catches on fire. It happens in the desert. But this time it was different because it was on fire, but it was not burning. Here's the next line that, that always catches me. I think we get lost in the burning bush idea and we miss this one. When the Lord saw that he had turned to see... God called out to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. A bush that's on fire that's not burning down is one thing, but a talking bush is a completely different miracle. All right, don't forget that this is a bush that's talking. A talking bush. 
What would you do if you saw a bush that was on fire but not burning and it started talking to you? I'd run the other way. I'd be a little nervous about that. But what does Moses do? He talks back to it. So this is where we're at. And then Moses, you know, says back to the bush, here I am. And God says to Moses, the place where you are standing is holy ground. They ask him to take off his shoes. You are standing on holy ground. Now, why is this holy? Why is this ground holy? It wasn't before. I I have a feeling Moses had been here before. 40 years of shepherding, he probably had brought his sheep to this point before. And wherever there's green grass, that's where you take your sheep. And if there was a bush there, it probably means there was green grass around it. So he'd probably been there before. It wasn't holy before, but now it is. Why? Why is this uncommon place suddenly, or this common place suddenly uncommon? Because God is there. God makes all the difference. This building, there's nothing special about this building. This room that we're in, there's nothing special about this place. The reason it's special is because God is here. When you come here, the Holy Spirit is here. God is here. We own some property on the east side of town. We're going to move as a church someday. We're going to build a building over there. It's going to happen. And it's not going to be a spectacular, amazing place because we build it. It's, it's because God's going to be there. And people are going to come to learn about who he is there. We're going to be able to share who God is. That's what makes it special. Your car, your backyard, your dining room table. The reason it becomes a special place is because you invite God to be a part of that. And he shows up. And common places become uncommon places when God is a part of the story. So we've got to continue doing that. Verse six, he says it this way. And he said, this is God speaking to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's telling Moses the story. He's telling Moses, you are part of this bigger narrative. You are part of this big story. Remember, you know this. You've told people this. You've heard this story over and over. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. You know, I've heard them pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead them. I'm going to lead them to the land of milk and honey. I'm going to lead them to the promised land. This is God saying to Moses, I've seen it. I've seen what's happening. Don't think the last 40 years I've been blind to this. Moses, I've heard their prayers. I haven't been ignoring them. I've been building something up here. Moses, I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten your people. I've not forgotten the people that trust in me. Verse 10, he says it this way. So now go. He changes in this. He changes from I to, to you. He says to Moses, now you go. You, you go back to Pharaoh. You lead these people out. And Moses says, I can't do it. I'm not very good at this. Who am I that I should go talk to Pharaoh? I don't talk very good. I still, I still draw with crowns, right? I, I'm not good at this. I can't make speeches. But in verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people, the God of your fathers, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, 
They'll say, well, who is that? What's his name? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Said, say this to the people. I am has sent you. Then he says, he reminds him again of the story. Tell him the story of Isaac and of Jacob, of Abraham. You tell him that and tell him that I am sent you. You see, God is not his name. God is his title. His name is I am. Throughout the Old Testament, they called him Yahweh. But when God refers to himself, he refers to himself as I am. And if God is I am, then by default, I am not. I am not him. Louis Giglio wrote a book. I love this. The, even the title of this book it was a good book. The title of the book is I am not, but I know I am In this, he writes it this way. He says, when you are questioning, needing, searching, wondering, asking, and struggling, you will find his sufficiency at the end of every desperate prayer. When you cry out all the things that you are not, you will know the answer is, I am. I need help. I need hope. I need a fresh start. Who can I trust? I can't hold on. I'm not sure why I'm here. I need a drink. I need a fix. I need a lover. I'm tired. I can't. I quit. He writes, what does Jesus then say about that? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Savior. I am Jesus, the solution, the restorer, the builder, the answer, the wise one, the coming one, the mighty one. I am the Lord and there is no other. I am God and there is none besides me. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Lord and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I am that I am. That is my name. And when Jesus was standing before the Sanhedrin on his way to the cross, the question that was before him was, are you the Christ? And Jesus answered, I am. But it wasn't just an answer to a question. It was a statement of who he was. And so here's Moses. Here we are standing in front of this bush that's, burning but it's not burning down and God speaks to him and he says you are going to deliver my people you're going to lead them out of slavery into freedom into the promised land and again Moses is not sure about it he's not sure that he can really do it but we learn in in Hebrews chapter 11 we learn by listening to the rest of the story, but in Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for his reward. So let's back up. Let's see this story. I want you to capture this big picture. Here is God, the story of God. God, the creator of the universe. In the beginning, God created all creation. He doesn't leave us after the fall because we made the choice not to follow, to try and do it ourselves. 
but he does not forget us, even though we fell away. And he brought along this guy named Moses. And Moses, he's going to bring his people freedom, freedom from slavery. They were slaves to Pharaoh, and Moses was going to lead his people away from that slavery to freedom and offer us redemption. We're going to see this through the story. Redemption back to a relationship with Christ through a covenant that was made with God. However, it's, it's only part of the story. And if you keep coming back over the next five weeks, we're going to study this. We're going to unpack the story of Moses and see how Jesus is connected, how we are connected to this. It's only part of the story because Moses is what we would call a foreshadow of what's to come. Moses is so important in the story. I want you to get how big a deal this is and how important it is, why it's important to understand Moses because Moses is like the Old Testament Jesus. What Jesus is to the New Testament, Moses was to the Old Testament. And we can see this connection happening. Jesus then brings us salvation one step further than what that redemption was that Moses brought. Moses brought redemption. Jesus brings us salvation. Jesus also offers us freedom from not just slavery, but sin. More than just being a slave to something, we are slaves to sin, and Jesus brings us freedom from that sin. And if you really line these two up and you do a comparison between the two, and we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks, you're going to see this. Moses is called the prince of um, Egypt. Jesus is called the prince of peace. Throughout the story of Moses, there was a time where God was providing manna for them. He was providing bread for them, substance, food, every day to be reminded of who God is. Through Jesus, we're reminded of who God is through bread, through communion, through the body of Jesus and what he provided for us. Moses stood on Mount Sinai and gave us the Ten Commandments. Jesus stood on the side of a mountain and through, through the um, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us the greatest commandment. Moses gave us the law. Jesus gives us love. Moses crossed through the waters of the Red Sea. Jesus was baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Moses leads us out of slavery into freedom. Jesus leads us out of sin into freedom. Moses led his people into the promised land. Jesus leads us into heaven. And you are a part of that story. You get to be part of the grand narrative of God. And when you have faith, when your faith is in him, we get recovery from the fall from the mistake that happened, the walking away from Jesus, when we put our faith back into Jesus, we get that full recovery from the fall and you then get recreated. It's a recreation. It's a new you. It's not the old you. It's a recreation and it's a better creation because of what it means. It's future glory of what's to come. It's eternity that goes beyond that. So in your brokenness, in your failures, in your fall, he does not forget you. He does not forget you. And if you think it's been a few years of prayer, remember the story of Moses and how long he prayed for this. Remember those stories. 87 times throughout Scripture, it talks about Moses and the story of God leading his people out of slavery. 
It's a story we cannot forget because in your brokenness, in your sin, in your slavery, he wants you to remember you are a part of his story. You are a part of the bigger story with Moses. You're a part of the story of God, the redemption, and God does not forget his people. You're a child of his through his son, Jesus. And the God who brought his people out of slavery into the promised land will bring his people out of sin and into eternity. And he doesn't forget you. So here's what I want. The the band's gonna make their way back up. And as they come back up, I'm gonna ask you to go and stand up. And as you stand up, I want you to think about this, your brokenness. Where are you at in your brokenness and your sin? And through your faith in him, you can be recreated into him. And the reminder that we have of this is our time of communion. And as we prepare our hearts for this time, I want you to be reminded of this, that you, you, you're no longer a slave to that. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the fear that comes with that. You're a child of God. He hasn't forgotten you. And if you want somebody to pray with you, I would love to do that. If you just need that reminder, then stand and sing as we prepare to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Let's sing together.